You are listening to a podcast produced by the New Zealand Centre for Political Research. Follow this and our other podcasts on nzcpr.com. Welcome to our podcast for the 18th of July, 2023, presented by Dr. Muriel Newman. There are now less than 100 days to what will be the most important election of our lifetime. For many New Zealanders, the return of Labour to government, along with the Greens and the Maori Party, would be the final straw. People with Get Up and Go will get up and go to Australia in even greater numbers than they are already. In 2020, Labour kept the Hipuapua report secret from voters. It's less of a secret that should Labour be re-elected, they will continue the Hipuapua agenda by embedding a new constitution with the treaty at its core. That would radically change our democracy forever. Here's Muriel Newman. Thursday the 6th of July marked 100 days until the most important election of our lifetime. For many New Zealanders, the return of Labour to government, along with the Greens and the Maori Party, would be the final straw. It's no exaggeration to say that if this occurs, significant numbers of Kiwis will decide their future is no longer in our country. Our only hope is a change of government in a new administration determined not just to halt the social and cultural revolution that's divided our society and eroded the fundamental principles of our democracy, but to reverse it. Over the last five and a half years, Labour has put in place the foundations for hipuapua and tribal rule. If Labour is returned to office it would introduce a new written constitution based on the Treaty of Waitangi that would embed tribalism and Maori rule into our society forever. But the version of the treaty that Labour would embed is not the one that established the Queen as our sovereign, protected private property rights and gave Maori the same rights and privileges of British citizenship as every other New Zealander. Their reinvented treaty claims it is a partnership between Māori and the Crown. This is what's been taught in schools and underpins our racist health system. It's being used to justify co-governance and the tribal control of three waters. And it's now even being forced onto the private sector. The drive for a treaty-based constitution comes from iwi leaders supported by Maori supremacy advocates in academia and the public sector. Labour ensured the media has also played a crucial role in conditioning the country for constitutional change by requiring all recipients of the $55 million Public Interest Journalism Fund to promote the treaty partnership fabrication. While that fund has now wound up, the media propaganda continues, as indicated by an article from a senior staff journalist promoting a written constitution for New Zealand. What is particularly disturbing in the article by Andrea Vance is her derogatory condemnation of a key democratic safeguard, 
the use of binding referenda to determine major constitutional change. She says, quote, Referendums are a dreadful way to decide constitutional matters, subjecting them to the vicissitudes of political controversy, stripping out nuance, and encouraging dehumanising language and distorted realities. They are a demagogue's dream. End quote. Such dictatorial sentiments are dangerous. As constitutional law expert Professor James Allen explains, when he points out that the only legitimate way to change a country's constitution is through the approval of voters. Quote, For a country in today's democratic era to change its constitution without in any real way asking its own citizens would be a disgrace, the sort of thing one might expect after a military coup in Pakistan. End quote. The reason the public's approval must be sought for major constitutional change is that the effects can be profound. For New Zealand, a new constitution based on the treaty would literally signal the end of parliamentary sovereignty and democracy as we know it. Let me explain. New Zealand's unwritten constitution consists of a collection of statutes, conventions, and common law rights that together set out the basic rules by which our country is governed. Supreme lawmaking power is held by elected members of parliament who can be sacked if they lose the confidence of voters. This has made New Zealand one of the strongest parliamentary democracies in the world. If a written constitution is introduced, that ultimate lawmaking power would be transferred to unelected judges who are not accountable to the public. Given the hierarchy of courts in New Zealand, it would be the five judges of the Supreme Court who would hold supreme power. They would, in effect, be our rulers, and if we didn't like anything they decided, there would be absolutely nothing we could do about it. One of those judges is Justice Joe Williams, a former head of the Waitangi Tribunal. He's already stated that he wants to, quote, decolonise the law. And with the Supreme Court's Chief Justice Winkleman and Justice Glazebrook also wanting to see Maori custom or tikanga as part of our common law, tribalism instead of democracy would be our future. As the former Canterbury University law lecturer David Round explains, quote, once we had the treaty in our constitution, we would be sunk. No matter how mild the reference to the treaty might be, we can be certain that they would be used not just by politicians, but by politically activist judges in the courts to impose apartheid on us forever. End quote. David also warns against the government's practice of inserting the principles of the treaty into legislation. Since there are no principles in the treaty, they are open to reinterpretation, as he explains. Quote, the principles, of course, are a blank check. The latest announcement from the Waitangi Tribunal is that they require co-governance, in other words, an end to democracy and racial equality. That's not what they meant even a few years ago, and for all we know, we may discover a few years down the track 
that the principles require complete Maori control of our country. That is, after all, what some radicals are saying right now. End quote. Given how widespread this practice has become under Labour, the situation is concerning, and more so as the panel reviewing New Zealand's electoral law has recommended inserting treaty principles deep into the heart of our electoral system. They say, quote, Upholding the treaty must be central to the administration of the electoral system. One way to facilitate this is to include an explicit requirement in the Electoral Act for decision makers to give effect to the treaty and its principles when exercising functions and powers under the Act. We are also recommending that this obligation is explicitly included in the Electoral Commission's statutory objectives. End quote. The Independent Electoral Review Panel proposing this radical course of action consists of six members. A consumer affairs advocate, a disability advocate, two Maori academics, a public law academic and a former Electoral Commission chief executive. Under the guise of better upholding the treaty, the panel has gone to great lengths to recommend a series of electoral law changes that would advantage Māori. One is entrenching the Māori seats to make it harder for them to be removed. Another relates to prisoner voting. Before 2020, anyone committing a crime against society serious enough to result in a prison sentence forfeited their right to vote. Labour restored voting rights for prisoners with sentences of less than three years ahead of the 2020 election. Now the panel is recommending all prisoners should have their voting rights restored because, they say, quote, it disproportionately impacts Māori who are overrepresented in the prison system as a result of systemic bias and social and economic disadvantage, end quote. According to the panel, Māori are overrepresented in prison not because they commit more crime, but because they are victims of oppression. Altogether, the panel has made 98 recommendations. These include lowering the voting age to 16, extending the term of Parliament from three to four years, lowering the party vote threshold to enter Parliament from 5% to 3.5%, and abolishing the one-seat threshold. One of the issues raised in the report is the complexity of the Māori electoral option. As a result, electoral commission meetings have been held around the country to explain the details and help to facilitate change. Another group that's been holding their meetings to help Māori voters with enrolments is the mongrel mob. Long-time mob member Harry Tam explained on his Facebook page as follows, quote, Another election hui done today in Dunedin. The local Labour MP heard about our hui and gate crashed. She said my name comes up in Parliament, so they're a bit hesitant to be associated with me. I told them they'll be more concerned when they realise that we are targeting the marginal seats and mobilising our people to get off the Maori roll and go on to the general role, so we can vote in those marginal seats. So best don't worry about me now, just worry about me if we get you in, 
because you will know that we can get you out too, unquote. He explained their objective is to vote strategically to keep National out by suggesting mob members give Labour their electorate vote and their party vote to the Greens so Labour has a coalition partner. Labour's Ingrid Leary was the MP that gate-crashed the gang meeting. She claimed she thought it was an electoral commission meeting. Maybe she didn't notice the gang patches. She said she in no way condones the actions of the mongrel mob, even though in 2021 Labour gave the mob $2.75 million supposedly for a drug rehabilitation programme. The rise of criminal gangs and the disastrous impact their drug trade is having on society is a concern of most New Zealanders. That includes this week's NZCPR guest commentator, former judge and law lecturer Anthony Willey, who reminds us it was not the FBI that brought down the notorious American gangster Al Capone, but the Inland Revenue Service. He suggests that along with strengthening police powers, the application of the Income Tax Act could prove an effective weapon against gangs. The former judge believes the use of income tax procedures on a regular basis would not only make it hazardous for the gangs to continue trading, but it would also make it more difficult for them to survive as a gang, and this would stem the flow of new recruits. Anthony Willey's suggestion is another weapon that could be included in the arsenal against criminal organisations that profit from the misery of others. There are so many burning issues to consider in the lead-up to the 2023 election that the consequences of another three years of labour just don't bear thinking about. That's it for this week. Don't forget to visit www.nzcpr.com if you'd like to register for our free newsletter, take part in our poll or access a treasure chest of valuable information. See you soon. Bye. This podcast has been brought to you by NZCPR Media.